0: Good uh, afternoon, everyone. It's um, Simon Clark and Lawrence Stefan from American Lithium. We're at the World Nuclear Association event in London, uh, the annual symposium. First time it's been live in three years, so we're very excited to be here. Uh, it's a very exciting time in the uranium space. We've talked um, several times about the Makassani uranium asset that we own, uh, which was part of the acquisition of Plateau. Energy, close to 18 months ago now, um, this is a really exciting asset and it's a time in the market where we're looking at how do we make sure that that, that asset really brings value for American Lithium and its shareholders and we have a number of ideas on that and this is going to really come to the forefront in the next few months. So this is a very timely uh, period for us to be
1: here. And great to be chatting to you, Matt. Good to have you here, guys. Welcome to London on a sad day. Yeah, very sad day. Well, Queenie's gone. Right. She's gone.
0: It's kind of like like everyone. It's, she's been there always. I know, I know. It's
1: I know. weird. Right, well, we've got to get on with it. Yeah. We, we've got to get on with it, and, and welcome to the UK. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for having us. A pleasure. Well, look, we're going to talk about, we're not going to talk about the lithium today, we're going to talk about uranium. You're here at the World Nuclear Association Conference. People are just a little bit excited. Then the narrative is super, super positive. You've had people from, well, you've had, you've had, um, I mean, politicians from the U.S. are here. We've got, um, uranium buyers, uh, here and lots of uranium CEOs here as well. And so what are you, what were you looking to hear? What, what were you expecting to hear at this event? Um, just really, you know,
0: just for us, it's about, you know, making sure people are fully aware that we have Micasani. It's one of the world's largest undeveloped assets. It's probably one of the, certainly one of the best in terms of OPEX. You know, it's had five very robust PEAs done on it. It's a well-known asset within the industry, but obviously when you present yourself as American Lithium, people don't automatically think of us as Uranium players, but as Lawrence will tell you, I mean, Plateau was first and foremost a uranium company and they took 15 years to build what is an exceptional resource, which we think is a, a lot of growth in it. And we need to figure out a way, obviously, for it to really bring in the value that it should for the company and its shareholders. It doesn't give us much value within American lithium or lithium developer, but it is a world-class asset in its own right. So it's
1: time that it has its day. Right. So, and, and so, I'll stick with you just a little bit more, if I can, Simon. Which is, you've got the big lithium plays within the portfolio, and you've got uranium. Right. You're here. It's obviously here. What your um, utility uh, fuel bars are saying, how they're feeling, timing all of this mm-hmm. thing, and obviously make sure everyone knows that you're you're there. Um, but how do you how how do you position yourself into this current noise, this current environment, because you know your early stage on 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 the uranium, really, and this is seems to be um, a story which is going to roll out over the next ten, fifteen years, because everything's going to take a little while to build. The infrastructure's going to take a while to build. For, for
0: for sure, and I mean yes, uranium's early in an American lithium context, but again, plateau, you know, started in two thousand and four, two thousand and five, and so. This is a 17 year story of building Makasani. Um, you have to remember when it was 10 million pounds before Fukushima, 10 million pounds resource, it had a market cap of 125 million. Today we're 12 and a half times that and getting going to be a lot bigger still. Um, and we don't get anything like that value within an American lithium context. So. I appreciate it's it's early for us, but it's a it's an asset that's well de- de- developed. It should be in feasibility. This this, this is a project. That the uranium sits at surface. It's highly susceptible to acid. It's a very simple process to get it out the ground. Um, so we believe it's actually a project that can be moved, can be fast tracked and move forward quickly. But to do that, it probably needs to be in its own vehicle. But again, we want to make sure we do that in a way that benefits American Lithium and all the shareholders. Okay,
1: so let's be clear. You, you've got the Lithium business, which is big. Um, you're talking there about a spin out. So there's no sale or we're, well, we're still examining
0: the right way to do this, but our sense would be the way to do it is probably put it in its own vehicle, retain a good um, uh, percentage holding for American Lithium, and then make sure that American Lithium shareholders all benefit through uh, dividending out um, stock in a new company to them. Right. That's probably the right way to go. Um, plus, I think that way you ensure that you keep the expertise that Lawrence and the team have built up. Yeah. You know, you can have crossed Cross management directors in common that kind of thing, but it's with it in its own vehicle, with its own agenda, with its own vision, with its own strategy, to fast track the uranium in its own right. It's not behind two lithium projects, which would naturally be ahead of it in a lithium
1: developer. Okay, so Lawrence, me sort to, to you because you're you're the, you're the technical brains behind the, uh, the the uranium. Okay, um, you're over here. Based on what you said, you, you don't necessarily need to be here to do some of those things. But what you do need to do is show, uh, some of these, these, um, utility fuel buyers that technically you are going to be able to get into production, that you are going to be able to produce what you say you can produce. And you need to sort of get them to at least be looking at. You had a Camco, ex-Camco director in here this morning saying they spend their whole time evaluating projects around the world, working out what tier one projects are out there and the rest, as he quite politely put it. Um, are you, Is that what you wanted to get out of this, to meet some of these, these fuel bars, or you know, who are you looking to speak to? Well, first of all,
2: thank you very much for having us. It's good to be in London after three years of hibernation. We're quite an active participation. We had it over the years developed at WNA because of the pandemic and a lot of other events, we couldn't be part of that. And it's, uh, I do remember the last event that took place in 2019, it was just doom and gloom, you know, and all of Mm -hmm. us were trying to find what's going to happen next. So we are here three years later and the atmosphere is slightly different. You know, I would say probably it's quite bombastic. It's absolutely amazing. There is such a high positive, approach to uranium. And although uranium all over the world has this perception that, well, you know, unfortunately, events like uh, Chernobyl and Fukushima, they didn't uh, help too much. But uh, if something is clear, if this um, war in Ukraine, or well, people still have the audacity, some of them calling it a special military operation, demonstrated that it cannot be relied. We cannot assume that the energy of the world can be dependent on cheap Russian gas, so we have to find alternatives. And the alternative that we always had, it was always at hand, it was definitely nuclear energy. Mm -hmm. Not only that it's green, it's strong, it's reliable, but actually it's the only way to get out of this, I would say, energy mess, you know. Unfortunately, it's not so simple, you know, because uranium has a reputation, and unfortunately we have to make the public aware of that stuff. We have to, the lot of technologies safer some of them are probably not properly developed people talk a lot about modular reactors about uh bevel bed technologies there will be smaller and probably safer nuclear units that will probably to <coughs> provide energy for smaller villages smaller enterprises corporation companies and uh, but it takes time it takes time we, we cannot use nuclear just an alternative actually to hit a big city like london for this winter or whatever it will happen in the rest of Europe. So we have to find ways to move out of that. The most important is probably to uh, convince the public that nuclear is the way to go, It's, uh, but it's not simple because it will need, first of all, need a price that secures that the commodity will be stable. And this is what's gonna happen. You know, the fact that uranium is already above $50 for a long, uh, a long time now, definitely the price will go much higher. But we need the governments to help us, you know. So actually, all over the world, to build a power station, a nuclear power station, takes 15, 20 years. You can do it much faster, but you need permits over permitting over permitting. And this, this way, if the governments will help to make sure that between one phase to second, third of construction, the, the time will, will probably be shorter and shorter, we can probably, it's probably the way and the way to alternate. There is a lot of uranium in the world, you know. So, but you have to make sense of it. It's not so simple. There are good projects, exceptional progress, very good projects and not so good projects. You know, Makusani is something very different because without the Fukushima event in 2011, I'm convinced uh, that Peru would have probably been now uh, an uranium producer. It was not because after Fukushima, I went into hibernation, then we had this pandemic. And now, as I said initially, this is a completely new, new perception to the unanimous world. It's everything. It's positive coming from the World Nuclear Association conference now in London.
1: So let's talk, talk to me about the SMRs. Are SMRs here to replace the, the, the large existing reactors? Is that what the job that they're doing? Or is it as well as in which case? What does that do to the demands numbers? Because if I, I'm trying to understand when it moves from a buyer's market to a seller's market? Because when it moves to a seller's market, the price seems to, moves in big, you know, big step change in, in price there. You have two components
2: in your question. Let's start with the first one. No, it's not there to replace. You cannot replace a, a nuclear power station of uh, 4,000, 6,000, 10,000 megawatts, you know, with which is probably the equivalent of four, five or six uh, power station run on gas on coal with one million uh, modular stations now. Look, energy should be produced or we consume it. Otherwise, we, are, we spend 20, 30, 40% of it. its losses due to transporting and it generates heat. And actually, you produce it here, you transport it for 400 kilometers and half of it is gone. So we have to start a way to producing where we need it. So we need big companies, energy or not huge demand, and definitely towns, villages. The idea of the small modular technology is to have uh, a power station, nuclear run, you know, definitely, that will be able to provide enough energy for a small town or for a couple of villages, you know, transporting at long distances. Look, there are some projects all over the world. The U.S. It's actually acting, and it was very good to have at the conference one of the uh, assistant directors in the Department of Energy. And she, it shows very positive, and it looks like actually United States at the end of the day decided. First of all, they need a lot of nuclear, you of uranium because they have the largest fleet of power of reactors all over the world. But everything coming from the United States is positive, and you know, and it's uh, we need them to become the leaders. The world needs a leadership, and hopefully they were able to provide it. The second part was actually. Yes, we're definitely moving into a seller's market and that's very good for the industry. And I'm saying the industry, I'm not talking about prospectors or explorers or producers, but also people who enrich it, you know. So whether a mine you can develop an uranium mine on a 5, 10, 15, 20 years depends on you know, the country. We, we need those permitting actually to be shorter and shorter, it's very important. But we need, actually, the problem, the bottleneck to be the enrichment. There are not too many facilities. This is controlled just by a couple of countries, you know. Unfortunately, one of them, Russia, was a great provider. Now it's definitely out of the Western system. And I'm not so sure how that problem will develop. But what we know, the Western world has to wake up and to make sure not only that you are able to produce more uranium, but we have to enrich it. And we have to make it available to the reactors all over the world, whether it will be large, medium or the modular like probably the future that's something that the future will tell us
1: okay yeah. and industry, are you hearing that the industry will get the support is it industry saying hey we need support from government could you please get rid of the red tape and you know shorten the permitting licensing process so we can actually get on and build these things or we're we not quite there yet because it seems like there's been a, a dialogue and a narrative over the past two three years where politicians feel like they're getting permission from the public to talk about nuclear again, and to support nuclear again. And in, obviously, in the last six months, especially so, price of energy across Europe and, and elsewhere in the world has gone up you know, two, three, four times, depending on, on where you are. And it's not just homes, domestic homes, it's industrial businesses. We're seeing businesses in Germany deciding to just shut down because they can't sustain a 60% increase in their energy costs. It kills their margins. It's insane. So do you, do you feel the politicians are going to quickly come on board or maybe they're already there? This is a very tricky question. Are you asking me? I'm not a
2: politician and I will, probably I never wanted to be one. And I'm not so sure that I want to wear their shoes. But look, I have all the sympathy. I'm a technical person. I'm a scientist at the end of the day. And look, the most important thing for me, if I would be a politician, there will be two questions that I'm not so sure how to reply. What do you think about nuclear energy? And what do you think about abortion? So actually, don't even get there, you know? So look... These are probably the type of questions that politicians always avoid or they will try to pass it. But I think it's time to make it very clear that without their clear contribution, and actually we have to stop working on both sides, it doesn't work. The world needs energy. And it's not only that, the world needs cheap energy. Because you just said, you know, the, the, the industrial engine of Europe, Germany, starting shutting down. There will be catastrophic consequences for the rest of the continent. I assume UK, you still believe that you are Europeans now, even of the Brexit and everything. It's quite important, you know. So we have to work it together. Without the government helping, it's a lost cause. We are losing the war before we even started. Yes. The industry, and I'm saying that it's everything from mining to enrichment to producing power, nuclear power. It's crying for help. The governments have to deliver it. They will be slow, but look, the signs are there. A couple, two years ago, France, Germany, Switzerland, you guys here, we are t- presenting to the, pl- pro, uh, to the public programs how to, I wouldn't say get rid, but how to slow down your nuclear activity. Mm. It's very clear that what happened in Ukraine demonstrated to the rest of the world we have to go nuclear again. We have to go safer, better. And for that, we need help from the government. We need a scientist, not only the government's will, yes. Let's produce more energy. It's not like okay, let's all build a boat and go on Thames, you know, rowing down. It's technology. You need a new generation of nuclear scientists. So the governments they have to do it properly this time. And everything that I hear at the WNA, at least from the representatives from several governments all over in the world, mostly in the Western world, is that they are willing to do it. Will it happen? Timelessly, will it happen to avoid any type of serious problems in the next coming winters without the Russian gas? I do not know. But I think it's their interest and of the public to see nuclear energy with different eyes. It's actually the only solution. I think, I I mean, if I could just jump in, I think
0: one of the things that became clear to me at the conference is there's there's two phases. So one of the key things is what the commitments you are getting from the government is to keep on the existing um plants that are that are around the world so you're hearing about Japan Korea mm. all these countries extending the life of the existing nukes yeah. so obviously that's that's a commitment they can make now because that those buildings are there beyond that they're then all talking about adding you know an, a number of additional uh, n- nuclear power plants to the system in addition to the modular stuff that we've talked about so i think there's two phases and i think what's going to drive a lot of the demand in the short term. and the question is is the supply going to be there is this commitment to keep as lawrence was saying two years ago all these governments were talking about shutting these down well now they're all talking about keeping them not only keeping them going to their you know, what was predicted to be the life of them, but to extend the life of those further. So I think that's gonna drive a lot of it. And then beyond that, obviously you've got the new builds. And as you mentioned, the more modular design for more distributed power. And the the other sea change that I've heard is you heard like, you know, like you fly in to Heathrow from Canada, you go over that great big um, windmill farm out in the sea. And so, you know, the acknowledgement that you're getting now from all these people is, yes, renewables is a key piece, but it can never be baseload. You can't rely on it. So rather than having natural gas or coal fired or whatever as base baseload, the only clean way to do it is nuclear. So there's lots of talk about combining nuclear with renewables, and nuclear will actually enable more and more renewables as well. So it's a really interesting um approach to me that as Lawrence said is a sea change from even two years ago
1: yeah no i I think that i think that's right the the eu taxonomy which we talked about at the beginning of this year uh nuclear and gas being included in that kind of that green ecosystem for for sure um you're here to really work out if you can get this project financed in a way too because the thesis is the thesis we've talked about the thesis for nuclear as part of the the solution for you know cheaper uh, sustainable uh base load energy for across the world, right? But you've got to get this project finished. It's significantly advanced, it's been added a while. If it wasn't for K- Fukushima, if it wasn't for COVID, it would be significantly advanced. Um, but you need to get the finance. So you need to say to utility buyers, we are good to produce. We are good uh for term contracts, which is the basis on which banks feel a little bit more comfortable about, you know, your ability to pay back Absolutely. whatever you learn from them, right? So are any of those conversations happening? Are you being taken off the little corners to say, well, "Well, just tell me a little bit more about your project"? Are you here to listen, or are you also here to? No, we're, we're we're having those conversations. Okay. I mean, it, I wouldn't say it's on a
0: widespread basis, but we're having some very targeted conversations about, you know, when can we get them, you know, some of our product for them to, yeah. to analyze, yeah. um, and you know. We will have some of that towards the end of this year. And then obviously as we move into, into a pilot, we'll have more and more of it. So you're absolutely right. That's the, going to be the key part of any, you know, to fund the capex. And you may remember from our PA, the, the, the capex on, under the existing PA is only $300 million, but it's still $300 million. So that's gonna be an important part. So no, we're, we're, we're not just here to listen. We're here to listen, remind people who we are and that this is a major asset within American lithium
2: and to start to have those conversations. I mean, Lawrence, you can add a little bit more color on that. Correct. Uh, look, I firmly convinced that without Fukushima and without the an economic crisis and many ifs, you know, without the pandemic, Marco Simon have been in production. And this is a deposit that will provide five, six million pounds of, uh, yellow cake to the nuclear industry for at least 30-35 years and uh, we just scratch the site okay. annually annually yes sorry not very much yes it's true Fine. other way to be a small so it's a very big deposit you know uh, look i don't we cannot talk more about what we have in the ground you know so look we are we are starting we we we, we hope to move into feasibility very very soon you know we have uh, definitely we are waiting permits from the peruvian government we are convincing them so important. South America is not a place well known for, for uranium. But look, I think we are changing that optics, you know? So uh, it's uh, it's moving into the right direction. We are providing now with uh ANSTO, Australian Nuclear and Science and Technology Organization, that we developed a woodworking relationship both on uranium, don't forget and, and on the lithium side. They are providing assistance to most of the lithium operations over the world. But actually, as the name says nuclear, you know, lithium is not a nuclear. So definitely. It was uh, an organization put together to help most of the uranium industry in Australia. Australia having probably the largest results in the world of that uh, metal. So we are providing specs by the end of this year and we're probably going to trade. There some, look, utilities, it's very interesting. Utilities are important, but utilities are not well known to help. They would like to say, give me uranium as cheaply as possible. This is something that it has to be corrected because, mm-hmm. on, look, uranium... Even if the uranium price will double, triple, quadruple, the price of energy produced by, by a nuclear power plant it will be just tiny. So this is something that the utility, look, they have to run their economics, it makes sense, but there are different ways. There are banks, there is in finance, there are traders. We had yesterday a meeting with one of the largest groups, you know, money is not a problem. I think in the current uh, environment, you know, finding financing for a good, finance for a good uh, uranium project, it's... Uh,
1: Say that, say that again, because I, I hear that from bank, my banking time in banking. I, I, I used to say money's cheap, uh, and and and, mm, and not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> well, in the context of the in the context of what the in, entire project was trying to do, you know, money could could be, could be cheap. So I I, I, I I did mean it when I said it. Um, but now, obviously, the cost of money is a little more expensive. So the cost. Overruns, but in the inflationary environment, supply chain issues, et cetera, and whatever the, you put the calls down to. Um, a lot of companies going through feasibility studies and economic studies are blowing their brains out. Every time they move from PA to PFS, it's very, very different. From PFS right. to feasibility it's very, very, it's a very difficult environment in which to say, well, we better put out an economic study. It makes sense to put out an economic study because it used to move the needle. In this environment, we, when we've seen companies go 20, 30, 40%, increase in the capex cost, sometimes a bit more reluctant and say, well, let's just, just calm down a bit here. How do you guys view the speed at which you move, given what's happening in the Uranium space? But over here, don't forget there's this big economic crisis going on as well. You may be the savior in terms of energy costs, but at the same time, you have to operate within an economic Really traumatized period and cost of money and increasing cost of, of of capital. So, how do you come at that? I don't know, Simon. Do you want to maybe tackle that first? Sure. I
0: mean, I mean, as Lawrence said, I think in the uranium space, um, you know, well, f- well, first of all, Makassani, the economics um, are very, very strong. So, I think, you know, whether you look at a combination of equity debt. As Lawrence mentioned, there's lots of interest from the right trading groups. And, you know, not only will they give you forward um contracts, I mean, the question is how much do you want to lock up and you know, what price and all, all of that good stuff, but they will also, you know, provide you capital as part of that as well. So there's there's various sources. Um Our sense very much is, and I'll let Lawrence talk more because he knows much more about this. The sector, I'm, I'm a baby when it comes to uranium. Um, big baby. A big baby. <laughs> but it's, um, you know, there are, there are lots of sources of capital. I mean, you, you look at something like lithium, and I know we're talking about uranium, yeah. but lithium is m- much more nascent and educating people about lithium. Yeah. Um, yes, uranium is niche, it's gone through ups and downs with some of the events that have happened over the last 20, 30, 40 years. But um, you know, I think I, I think the sense is that the, the the capital you know will definitely be there. Yeah. Um, and Lawrence, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit more. You were going to talk more about the trading side, I think.
2: Yeah. Well, look, thank you very much, Simon. Look, Simon is very right. Everything is about pricing. You know, look, it's a more than one way to tackle this one. Let's start it on one way. What separates Makusani by the rest? It's actually the very cheap way of producing that, uh, that product, you know, the yellow cake. Uh, we had uh, four, five PAs, depends how you count. You'll say, listen, it's not a feasibility study. And you are right. Once you move from feasibility, feasibility, the prices will, will increase. But we ran all, the, all our numbers when the uranium price of 50, you know, and they still had exceptional numbers. Every project has, a bottleneck, a key, a factor that can make it to shine or can make it to go down, you know. Right. We are going to produce in Peru at Makusani uranium at uh, $17 a pound. This is Kazakhstan.
1: 17 17, 17, 17. People I people like don't understand what the uranium pricing. <laughs> that's <laughs> bottom decile, let alone bottom quartile production costs. Yes. That's cheap. Yes. Okay. It's Kazakhstan <clears throat> numbers. It's wow. It's
2: prom numbers. And why? Because it has very cheap reagents and consumable mm. to bring into production. Our consumption of sulfuric acid and sulfur went to very high, but it's coming down, you know. Mm. It will be there. It's still. Most of the uranium operations, they consume 100 to 100 kilograms to leach a ton. Yeah. We produce 10 Kilograms we are using our consumption is that okay double it triple make it 20 30 whatever you want to do it all our numbers They say 9 10 11. So the main reagent sulfuric acid in our case mm-hmm. is negligible It's still so we are very much like why it's very look three things It's very easy to leach it's a very clean mineralogy. It's absolutely no deleterious elements. You don't have any molybdenum, any Van- vanadium, any arsenic, any type nothing that can, co- not even thorium, which is always the twin of uranium many times. It's absent, you know? Okay. It's on surface, easy stripping, easy to mine, and there, the, the, the operation will be very compact. So all these things will have a major impact on the economy of scale and oil operation. So, by that on its own, it will be easy. Okay, let's assume that our our price is, as you said, you said, in your numbers, 20%. Okay, I'm moving from 17 to 20. Fine. Yeah. Look, it's a completely different story. So from that point of view, I think we are on the safe side. And also the second one is the purity. Because there are no deleterious elements, I think the needs to refine the product that will be probably non-existent, so we will be able to produce one of the cleanest and purest final product in the market. And all the traders, the the utilities, all the enrichment facilities definitely should love it.
1: Okay, just conscious of time, you've had a long week and you've got more conversations to have, I I, I suspect. So Simon, you're going back to the team. What's the one thing that you've taken away from the conference which you say to the team back home?
0: For for me, we've talked about (coughs) the uranium market being back for about a year. I think for me, this just fully validates that it truly is back and, um, and it's moving ahead. I mean, it's, it's now time for us. I mean, we've, we've, um, as Lawrence said, we've been delayed with permits in Peru. Mm. We've done a lot of work though, um, in the background. We've, we've, we've shown through pre-concentration, we can more than double the head grade, which makes those economics that Lawrence was talking about even better. We've progressed further with ANSTO in terms of a lot of stuff that will feed into feasibility. Um, and so it's now time for us to, you know, move this asset into, into a, a, you know, figure out exactly what the transaction looks like to maximize value, because okay. uranium is here. This, this market is, is here to stay, and, uh, and I think it's only gonna get stronger is, is kind of the message that I'm getting loud and clear from this
1: conference. I've got to ask you, Lawrence, as well. From the shop floor, what was the big bit of new news that you heard? I'm, I'm assuming you didn't come here to like confirm what you already knew. Was there any new news coming from the shop floor or on the stage which you, you will take back home to your team? First of all, I always like to come here to London, you know, it's actually, it's, it's still the financial
2: center of the world, even if you guys have decided not to be Europeans, you know, so hopefully you'll come, <laughs> you know. But two things, two things are very important. First of all, high prices are here to stay. I think for us, in the industry to see again prices of 15 $20 a pound that will definitely hammer completely the commodity. I don't think it will ever happen again. And look, I, I would hate to eat my words, but the prices are there to stay. As you said, it's a seller's market, and I think they will go much higher. We hope they will go steadier higher, you know. They will right. not go to 200, whatever. They will go steady, 60, 70, 80, whatever. As I said, you know, it will change just the producers, and they will make more interesting companies. But for producing energy, it's actually no implications at all but will make the the industry solid and the second one there is, although slow although, although in its infancy there is a very clear indicators for the major economies of the world mostly on the regulators and the governments that they want to help the industry i think uranium is back is back with a vengeance and hopefully we'll never have in the future any type of incidents like we had in the past because this is where the public Image is always getting deteriorated. So I do believe higher prices and the will of the governments to help. And I think we are on the safe side. Good
1: thank night. Thank you, mate. Good to see you. Welcome to the UK. Thank,
2: thank you. you. Good to see you again, Good to see you okay, too. Thank you.